This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hi everybody, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan, and we are your hosts of Creepy Campfire Podcast, uh, your source for all things supernatural, mysterious, creepy. You know, we got we got ghost stories, we've got alien abductions, we've got missing persons cases. Yeah, a little bit of goof mixed in there in between. Um, you can reach us on any platform that carries podcasts. But we're not here just to talk about us. We're also here to talk about a wonderful podcast that you're already tuning into. So... Without further ado, Jerry and Tracy, take it over at the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 135 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. And we've got a show tonight that's a tad bit off the beaten path from what we normally do. Yeah. But obviously, first we want to say uh, a big thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you. God bless you all for keeping us safe. We pray for you all every day. I want to add to that real quick because somebody sent me an email, so there's still some confusion on what we mean. We're not talking about, um, you know, the Venezuelan military that are out killing people or, you know, the Iraqi. We're talking about our allies, you know, England and and Canada and and, um, Australia and stuff like that. So I guess there's still some confusion that we shouldn't be pulling for, you know, isis but we don't so (laughs) all right so obviously um we want to say that you know it's a time of the year where the weather is still kind of bad it's kind of gloomy depression sets in on a lot of people and we just want to let you know that if you're in a situation to where you're feeling a little down and out to uh, talk to somebody and just try to reach out and, and let somebody know, even if you don't want to tell them the situation. Right. Just reach out to somebody and go set up a lunch date or something or, or just something to have some fun mm-hmm. and uh, and get some talking out of the way. Uh, but you'd be surprised how many people are willing to listen to you if, if you tell them what your problems are. Now, if you don't want to reach out to a friend, just call the suicide hotline, one 800 273-8255 and if you're more of a texter you can text them at 741-741 and don't forget about our group yeah we're absolutely. always there for you guys absolutely join our group hillbilly horror stories group and uh there's tons of support in there we're, we're almost at three thousand members i know it's so great so anyway so the story tonight is going to be on time travel and we've brought in a special guest um, no, it's not a top scientist. It's obviously not Stephen Hawking because he's, you know, dead. Hmm. So he probably wouldn't have came on if he was alive anyway. Probably not. So who we do have, though, is our granddaughter, Dakota Gandy. Hey, guys. 
And she wants to be a scientist one day. And she's fascinated with the paranormal. Every time they go to the bookstore, she seems to find something that's along that wise. Or she's buying something for us mm-hmm. that's along that, those lines. And she's going to sit in with us and give a little bit of feedback as we go. And then we've got a little special section set up with her for she's going to talk about some research that she did. Sounds so, great. Are you ready for this, Coda? Yeah, I'm ready. So before we get into the stories... Tell me about some of the paranormal shows that you like watching. Um, so one of them is about, they are like researching for these people and it's a documentary and like they will go to somebody's or like a person's house and get actors and characters together and throughout the whole show they will talk about what they experienced and what it was like for them, and it'll kind of, and like the show, what kind of based on that with like different actors and stuff. And so, those are some of the things I like to do. So, you like the reenactments? Right. Like with, I guess, kind of demons that, I don't know, just are just mean to people all the time. So, like you, you, you like demons that are mean to people all the time. Is that what you well, said? I don't like them. It's like, <laughs> Learning about, like, what they do. And how old are you? I'm 10. You're 10. You're getting ready to be coming up, though, a little bit older. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. most people. When... That's what happens when you have birthday happy. <laughs> he, seems, he seems clueless, Dakota. <laughs> okay. So, who are some of your favorite people on these paranormal shows? Well, one, I really like Jack Kenna, <laughs> for sure. He's one of my favorites of all time. He's always, like, inspired me to do what I love and to not be as afraid as I was. So that's kind of, he's just the main person that I've always liked, and he's super nice to everyone. And the first time I met him was at Scarefest, Mm -hmm. I believe, at Rep Arena. And he and I became quote-unquote buddies, I guess, (laughs) as you can say. But, yeah, he just inspires people all the time. That's like the first thing that comes out of your mouth is just something really sweet and inspiring. Yeah, he he is a really, really nice guy for sure. We love him too. All right, so let's jump into this show. Like I said, this show's off the beaten path. And I find it fascinating. So I thought we would look at a few different instances of time slips and time travelers. So this this is going to be similar to last week's show where we have multiple stories mm-hmm. just tied into a topic. And we've done this a few times like with the past lives episodes and we've done it with the uh, um, near-death experiences and stuff like that. And we don't do it very often, but I thought this was really cool. So I know that there are some big-time stories like the Philadelphia Experiment and the... Uh, Montauk Project, those are a little more serious and deeper than what I want to get into on this subject, so we may end up doing shows on those in the future, but for tonight, we're not even going to touch on them. With that being said, let's talk about a few quick possible cases of time traveling. So we're going to start with a fairly new one. This is called the Charlie Chaplin Time Traveler, and it was discovered in 2010 by a gentleman by the name of George Clark, and he, what he did was he posted a video on YouTube. He called it Chaplin's Time Traveler. So here's the deal with this. Clark was watching a DVD of Charlie Chaplin's The Circus 
that premiered at the uh, Hollywood Chinese Theater in 1928. Why he was watching it, I have no clue. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody wanting to watch that. But this DVD had some extra footage, like behind-the-scenes type stuff. And about 20 seconds into the extra clip, he picked up on a little something. At this time, the camera kind of uh, zoomed in on a zebra statue that was put right in... Um, it was like the middle of the area there because mm-hmm. they had put a bunch of animals out to build a circus-type atmosphere. Because, you know, we all think of zebras when we think of the circus. <laughs> have you ever been to the circus and seen a zebra? I, I, I don't know. Have you, Coda? I don't think I have. Well, I've never been to a circus, but no, usually I would think of lions and elephants. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so they stuck a zebra there. And that's not the important part, though. The, the important part is there's a woman that's walking behind the zebra. She's wearing this big hooded coat and a black top hat. I know it's a woman and she's wearing a black top hat. Go figure. As bad as her attire was, that still wasn't the strange part. What caught George's eye was the fact that she appeared to be holding a smartphone to her ear and talking to someone as she walked past the zebra. Now, the fact of the matter is she was holding something flat to her ear. Mm-hmm. Now, if you'd listen to our Gary Demon House episode sometime back, you'll know that According to Tracy, cell phones didn't exist until around 2013. <laughs> You're never going to let me live that down. <laughs> <laughs> so we know there was no way they were around in 1928. Some say that the clip may have been put there like uh, Easter eggs. Some type of a, a CGI thing that was just put there after the fact. Um, kind of just seeing if anybody would catch it. Kind of like they did in The Rescuers, if you remember that fiasco a while back. And... Most of, well, cover your ears, Coda. So, unless you're unaware of this, The Rescuers, the Disney film, there's two clips that aren't back-to-back to to where the, uh, what the two little characters, mice or whatever they were, Mm -hmm. are like in a sardine can, and there's a glimpse of a naked woman in a window. Topless topless woman. And then in the other one, she's at the bottom of the screen in the window, and it just flashes one scene quick. Oh, my gosh. And that was done after the fact and when Disney released it. So, Oh, gosh. You can uncover your ears now. Okay. But so that was one of those things that was done. People think that this may be similar. Now, most feel the clip is real and that the woman was either filmed uh, while she was there, obviously. But they think that she may have been a time traveler using an actual cell phone. If so... We know that it wasn't a Sprint phone because they can't get service in 2019, let alone 1928. <laughs> so what if she wasn't a time traveler? What is, what is she holding? I mean, what's what she got to her ear? Now, there were some hearing aid devices that were similar in size and shape to smartphones back during this time that Siemens made and Western Electric made. Hmm. And so you would hold that up to your ear and it would make you hear better. Oh, wow. So that very well could be. But you can't see the actual um, thing she's holding in her hand. So it could be that or it could be something else. But the, the question is, who was she talking to? She was definitely talking to somebody. And if it was a hearing aid, you wouldn't be talking into it. Now, there's a part of the clip where she kind of turns towards the camera and it's clear that her mouth is moving. Some say that she could have been talking uh, to herself or singing to herself. or Maybe some- she's chewing gum. And I guess that's possibly something, too. Or maybe she's trying to get somebody's attention. Now, that's not what it looks like, though. 
And there was another person in the scene, but he was ahead of her. And it doesn't look like she's talking to him. So it's just kind of confusing. And, and she looks like she's having a really serious conversation, though. She even looks almost angry at some point when she turns, hmm. when she's chewing somebody out. Some people pointed out that how would someone make a call in 1928 if there were no cell towers back then? And my guess is that if you've mastered time travel somehow, some way, you can probably figure out how to make a phone work without a tower. It gets crazier. Clark, who found this footage, thinks it may be Charlie Chaplin himself wow. coming back in time. He said when Charlie Chaplin left the U.S., he moved to Switzerland, not far from the, the CERN complex, which is C-E-R-N. And Charlie and Albert Einstein were really good friends. And the CERN complex has been rumored to be a hub for time travel experiments for years. Wow. And he was yeah, like right cool. there, literally 15 minutes away from it. So that's the story of Charlie Chaplin's time travel. That traveler. is amazing. I would just love to be a part of that, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's just like so weird and cool at the same time. Right. You're right. So do we think this woman in the video, and I know neither one of you have seen the video. No. But... Is it possible this woman could be holding a cell phone and having a conversation 60 years before there were cell phones? Oh, my gosh. Um, could be possible, or she could have just, she could have been holding, I don't know, just something else that wasn't that maybe she was talking to another person. Or maybe she was Looney Tunes. Yeah. And was just talking to herself. Yeah. Or maybe like she had a recorder or something. (laughs) Did they have those back in the 28s? In the 28s. <laughs> okay, let's just move on. <laughs> yes, if they could, I had a feeling if they could make movies back then, they probably had recorders. Oh, yeah, true. So, next we'll briefly talk about Andrew Basiago. Now, he told stories of Project Pegasus for years, and this was like a covert uh, project and uh, some alleged, at least alleged covert time travel initiative funded and maintained by the U.S. government in the 60s and the 70s. Now, in his story, he tells about a quote-unquote jump room. He says that this room is where all of the other participants and himself performed the secret time travel experiments. Wow. Supposedly, it was built using a design by uh, uh, Nikola Tesla, and this was taken out of his apartment shortly after Tesla died. So he just kind of stole his stuff. Now, supposedly, it had a teleportation machine. And this machine was a shimmering curtain made of radiant energy. And this was special because, allegedly, it was an undisclosed form of energy that was latent and pervasive throughout the cosmos. Now, Cody, you've done some research on this type of stuff. Uh-huh. So when I tell you that he's talking about this form of radiant energy and a, and a shimmering curtain to jump into. What is your input on that? So I researched just like about the like time machines that there could be supposedly. And it said that if one can le- like collects enough um, negative energy, I believe it said, then they could kind of make it into somehow a time machine to transport from time to time um and so it's really so they just need to harness that negative energy and if they can harness it they can find a way to travel through time yeah that's that's what i researched and what it said so 
So I wonder how much negative energy it needs to do that. Yeah, I just really hope people aren't sad all the time. <laughs> no, that's true. That's a good point. So if you're around a bunch of sad people and they're just like like that, have that negative energy, it shouldn't be hard to, you know what I'm saying? It should be easy to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> My guess is they're talking about a different type of negative energy than just somebody who's a negative Nancy. Well, yeah, but that's what she was saying, though, right. the negative energy um, for them to time, to time travel. So, Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, it said it says it was a negative energy, but it started with a D. I'm not for sure what it was called, so it might be a different form, like she was saying. Gotcha. So according to this gentleman, this is what made the time travel possible. So the curtain stood between two elliptical booms, kind of like something you'd see on Frankenstein. And when you pass through it, you could go vast distances and across different time uh, zones itself. Oh, my goodness. That would be really cool. Yeah, it would. Other than this story, though, there's really no details or no physical proof at all that this ever existed. So, that's the first two little tidbits. Now, in those instances, we talked about, you know, experiments on time travel and we talked about possible video proof what about a mummy Ooh, i like mummies we're going to talk about the adidas mummy adidas like the shoes <laughs> yeah i was thinking that when you said it <laughs> so mm-hmm. s- sometimes something comes along that scientists and archaeologists question so much that it almost changes what they've previously thought about all the research that's been done. The Adidas mummy is one of those cases. It was found in 2016 in Mongolia. So we're only talking a couple of years ago. She had been buried for 1,100 years. Oh, my gosh. I she wonder was, how she would, if she was alive and she was buried that long, how she would have felt about it, like the phrase being buried alive. I don't know. She probably wouldn't have felt it for longer than about 20 minutes. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? I would love to see that. Would you not love to see a mummy that was 1,100 years old? Yeah, I would like to see that. So she was between 30 and 40 years old, and she likely died from a blow to her head. Oh. So why is she called the Adidas mummy, and what does that have to do with time travel? Well, first of all... Just do it. That's Nike. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, sorry, Cody. <laughs> Dang it. Well, she looked like she was wearing modern-day shoes. What? They looked like snowboarding boots. And they were knee-length, and they were made of felt. They had leather soles and a splashes of bright red on them. But the striped design on the shoes looked just like the design that Adidas uses today. On all of their shoes. Okay, that is really bizarre. Yeah, either she had time travel travel, or, I don't know, maybe she just learned how to make her own shoes, but that is not very likely right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they say maybe the Mongolian woman was a time traveler, uh, possibly a huge run DMC fan. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if she wasn't a time traveler, the person who made the shoes was using a design from the future. So possibly the shoe designer could have been from the future. Oh, wow. 
but That's these amazing these mm-hmm. shoes weren't the only thing brought time traveling mm-hmm. into the, the uh, equation though among her other belongings was what archaeologists described as a beauty kit including a mirror comb and a knife i don't know what she's using a knife for for yeah, beauty but no scientists brush off the fact that they think that she was a time traveler but did say that her boots were very modern and they don't have an answer for that. Oh my gosh. From now on, I'm probably going to wear Adidas. <laughs> Does that make you want to wear Adidas now? Yeah. Yeah. How can that even be possible? I don't know. It's a pretty cool picture, though. And we'll be posting all these pictures. Oh, yeah. I can't so. wait to see it. Yeah, I get to see them. <laughs> now, I like the time traveler stories, but the rest of the show, we're going to focus uh, and talk about some fascinating stories of time slips which is a little bit different. These are stories that really grab my attention. And I've got three pretty well-known stories on the subject and a short but very cool story. And we're going to start with that one. So most of the time slips that you're going to hear about involve people. And we talked to Andrea Perrin, if you remember, the, the daughter from The Conjuring. And she told a story in there that will give you an idea about time slips that her mom came down the stairs one day looked into the kitchen and there was a whole family that she had never seen before from a different era Mm -hmm. that she just noticed they were sitting there eating and they noticed her and then they started talking back and forth like hey look at this woman over here and then they eventually disappeared that would be a version of a time time slip. slip she just basically just walking to another era where you're not supposed to be oh wow This is usually how most of these stories go. This one, though, involves a building. So it's not unusual to find yourself in like a strange place, especially if you're in a country that you've never been to. In 1979, two couples were traveling to Spain on vacation. They left England and made their way to France. When they were near the city of Montelamar, they decided to go ahead and get a hotel room, stay for the night. They found a few that they were really interested in, but they were all booked up. So they kept looking, and they found one that simply just said hotel above the entrance. Mm -hmm. They got a room. They stayed the night. Everything was kind of old-fashioned in the hotel, they noticed. It was really outdated, but it was okay for one night. No big deal. Old-fashioned, like the bed was hard. There was no telephone. There was no glass in the windows. I can't imagine a hotel with no glass in the windows. What did well, they what? use? Yeah, what did they use for the windows then? I have no idea. Did they even have windows? I guess they had just big gaping holes. That's what <laughs> I got out of it. So for fun and out of mainly disbelief at how old and outdated this place looked, they took a bunch of pictures. The next morning, they went down to breakfast in the dining room, and this was really the first chance that they had a, uh, a chance to encounter any of the other customers that were at the hotel. They said they kind of noticed that all the other customers down there looked strangely out of place. And it was almost like everything from the outdating of the hotel has rubbed off on all the customers that are there. And by this, I mean that the fact that all of their clothes were outdated. Two of them were wearing old uniforms. So then came the bill. It was 19 francs. That was way less than they thought it was it was going to be. Now, just to give you an idea, and you know how hard it is to find out what the exchange rate for U.S. dollars <laughs> and francs were back in 1979. So this took 1979? more. Yeah, took more effort than I wanted to, <laughs> because they don't even use francs in France anymore. Oh, but really? anyway, 19 francs in 1975 would have been five dollars. Oh wow! So that's pretty cheap, that's even in 1975. Deal. 
So this was a strange experience, to say the least, but overall it was a pleasant experience. They get to go to Spain, so they continue on. They come back through France, and they look for the same hotel. That's when they find out that the hotel didn't exist. What? It's crazy. No, it didn't shut down, or they just couldn't find it. It didn't exist. So they, they were just living, like, kind of in their own, like, fantasy hotel, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> wow. So they asked all around the, the town. No one had ever heard of it. So they get back to England, and the plot thickens a little bit. All of the pictures that they took at the hotel were gone. Not only was there no proof that it existed, there was no proof that they had ever been there. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if they were mad because they gave somebody $5 that didn't exist. They still got to sleep in a hotel. That's still five. I would still be happy that I got a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's really weird. All right. So now we're going to get into the bigger stories. This next story is about a pilot by the name of Sir Victor Goddard. He had a very unnerving experience in 1935. See, he was flying from Andover, England to Edinburgh, Scotland. Mostly normal flight, but he passed over a dilapidated airfield in Drem, Scotland. It had obviously been abandoned for a long time. It was overgrown with grass and weeds. Even cattle had started grazing out there. So basically it was a farm at this point. He made it to Edinburgh, stayed there for a few days, then started back to Andover. He took the exact same route that he took to, that would lead him right over Drem. He ran into a strange storm before he could even get to Drem. Now, this storm was so strange that it not only had the high winds and torrential rain, but it had yellow clouds, and he had never encountered that in his years of flying. Goddard became disoriented during the storm, and he lost control of his plane. He tried to regain control by flying above the yellow clouds, but they just seemed to never end. He kept going. His plane started to fall. Then the clouds suddenly broke, and he could see the ground again. He could see that Drem Airford, uh, uh, airfield that he had seen earlier off in the distance. As he got closer, the storm vanished. It stopped raining, and everything became super clear. Something was different, though. The airfield was no longer abandoned. It looked like it was brand new. He could see four yellow planes on the runway. There were mechanics below. One of the planes he had never seen before. It was a monoplane unlike anything that he had ever seen in the Royal Air Force in 1935. The mechanics also stood out because they were wearing blue overalls. The Royal Air Force mechanics only wore brown, and there definitely were no yellow planes in the Air Force. So he was completely confused by this. So he thought, you know, uh, he was traveling, you know, at a very high velocity and he didn't really have much time to think about it because he noticed all this stuff and then he was already past it. Well, before you know it, these strange clouds and storms suddenly comes back. Here's the yellow clouds. Here's the rain, the wind. It's all right back as quick as it went away. That's so weird. A storm just goes away and then reappears like the next minute. Hmm. So once again, he loses control, but he was able to land safely at his home base. He couldn't wait to tell his friends, of course, that, you know, all this stuff that he had seen up there. And, of course, most of them didn't believe him. He kept the story to himself after that for several years. Oh, he didn't tell nobody else? No. Here's the twist of the plot. Four years later, in 1939, 
his vision actually came to pass. The Royal Air Force started painting their training planes yellow. Oh, wow. They introduced a new monoplane called the, the Magister that was just like the one that he saw four years earlier. And for good measure, the mechanics were all wearing blue uniforms now. Blue overalls. Did I mention that all this was at the newly revamped Drem Air Force Base? Oh, my gosh. So, I wonder, though, if he talked to any of those friends he had told before. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. And they would be like, oh, my gosh, you, what you said was right. Yeah. So, I mean, he if, if the story is to be um, believed, then he somehow, these yellow clouds and all that, was able to pass through time and went to four years in advance. Oh, my gosh. Man, he could, like... Well, no, I guess I guess somehow if that would work and you could become a millionaire, you know what I'm saying? If you kinda of went ahead and did that your own. Like do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, if you said, could, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you could create time travel you would be millionaire. True, but <laughs> I'm but I'm saying though, he 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 saw that for himself and then he still lived to see it in the future. Right. But it would have been cool. It's kinda of like deja vu. Yeah. And but it would have been cool if he had kinda of came up with that. That's that's craziness. Yeah, and like he would tell like every like everyone he knew. Oh my gosh, guess what? I just saw, you know, this new or the abandoned air force. It was newly fixed with yellow planes and a new plane I've we've never seen before because it hasn't come out yet. But he did tell everybody, and they thought he was crazy, so he quit well, telling yeah. people. So yeah, he quit telling people, and then um, later on, when it actually happened, it's just. He would go over there and say, hey, you, you see this? This actually happened. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Prove your point. I get you. And then people would tell news reporters and all this stuff, and it, it would just be great for him. I would have just been like, told you so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so the next story is probably the most famous of all the time slip stories. And this goes back to 1901 in France. Two British women were visiting uh, Versailles on August 10th, 1901. Charlotte Ann Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain, they claimed to have traveled through time and met some historical figures. This happened around Petit Trianon, which is a small little manor house on the grounds of the Palace of Versailles. The house was built between 1762 and 1768 during the, uh, I guess, the when Louis XV was reigning there. He later... Gave it to his 19-year-old wife, somebody you've probably heard of, Queen Marie Antoinette. Oh, yeah. Mm, yes. So the two women, they took a short tour, and they thought the tour was boring. And they kind of wandered off on their own. And they started looking around the gardens of the um, Petit Trianon. The house was in a park, though, called the Grand Trianon. And when they got to the park, it was closed. So they had a guidebook with them. They kind of showed them a little bit, some maps and stuff, and they tried to use it to get to the house, but they got lost. So instead of staying on the main street, they went down a little small alley and they missed the house completely somehow. That wasn't the biggest problem, though. Things changed when they were in the alley. Moberly said she saw a woman in a window shaking a white cloth. Jordan saw an old abandoned farmhouse with an old plow in the front of it. The women both reported feeling... Uh, a great oppression and dreariness during this time. They saw two men who looked like gardeners. They actually went up to the men. They asked them for directions. 
and they were told to go straight. So they make their way down this alley. Jordan sees an old cottage and a woman with a young girl standing in front of the door. So they didn't look natural, though. Almost like they were wax figurines or sculptures or something like that. Moberly didn't see the cottage at all. So both of these women, you'll see, they saw different things on the same trip. She did say that she felt a difference in the air, though. Everything suddenly looked um, just, it just felt unpleasant. Mm -hmm. It just looked, you know, nothing was natural at all. Even the trees, they became flat and lifeless like they were just a picture. No effects of light, no shadows, no winds would affect the trees. It was just, just something weird, like something out of Wizard of Oz or something. They saw a strange man wearing a cloak and a large um, shady hat. Both saw him. Moberly said he was the most repulsive, <laughs> dark-complected, and rough person she had seen. Jordan said he was just dreadful. Oh, gosh. Poor guy. These were really nice people. Sounds like it. They finally reached a um, Petit Trianon, right? Where this is the house they were trying to get to. They saw the last figure. It was a lady. She was sitting out in the grass in the front of the house. She was sketching or drawing. Moberly said that she was wearing a light summer dress, a white hat, and had long hair. Moberly said at first she thought it was a tourist, but her appearance was somewhat out of time. Jordan didn't see this lady at all, but Moberly claimed later that it was Marie Antoinette. They then went into the house. And then they joined the quote-unquote real guests that were alive. Neither of these said a word about the experience that they had for a whole week. Mm -hmm. Moberly asked Jordan if she thought Pettit Trianon was haunted, and both agreed that they had an encounter that was something paranormal that day. They later wrote two separate accounts of what happened that day and researched the history of the Pettit Trianon. They discovered that something happened on August 10, 1792 in Paris. The Tuileri Palace was surrounded and the king's guard was killed. Six weeks later, the monarchy no longer existed. They said that they found out that the hideous man in the garden was a friend of Maria, Marie Antoinette by the name of Comte de Vaudreville. So the two ladies ended up going back to travel this path again. But some of the landmarks that they saw the first time that they were there in their little dreamlike trance was no longer there. They determined that the place was truly haunted and wrote a book in 1911 called An Adventure. The book was a hit, but critics were kind of skeptical if they were telling the truth or not telling the truth. This was just mainly because their stories were not unified. I told you that well, yeah, one of them had one side and yeah. one of them had another. They how didn't see the same thing. How time. is that possible? Well, I think at the same time, though, that's kind of cool in the aspect of they were different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think that if there was something weird going on, maybe you wouldn't both see the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe they just had, like, different genetics which caused different diversions of what they saw. Possible. That's a good point. Thanks. So in 1965, Philippe Julian had a thought of what he thought could have happened. The poet uh, by the name of Robert de Montesquieu had an apartment nearby at the time that the ladies were visiting. He used to have these big theme-type parties, and his friends would come dressed as different characters from different eras. Could it be that he had one of these parties at the time the women were visiting, and that's what they saw? 
Could be. They might as well have been like, hey, do you want to come to our party? And then when it wasn't there anymore, they would have thought it never happened. True. They at least would have had a good time there, so. (laughs) Okay. That's going to bring us to our last story of the night. And this story is probably questioned more than any of the other stories, and for good reason. This is the story of Rudolph Fence. The story goes like this. In June of 1950, in the center of Times Square in New York City, a man just appeared out of thin air. He had mutton-chopped sideburns, which had been out of style for decades. He was wearing old-fashioned clothes. He kind of looked up and down at himself when he appeared. You know, like, what happened? Mm-hmm. So he looks up and down at himself. He kind of gazes around his surroundings in astonishment. You could see a look of panic on his face because he's seeing street lights oh, and yeah. street signs and, and all this stuff. He starts running forward and is struck and killed by a taxi. Oh, you've got to be kidding. So when the police search his body, Aww. they found $50 in old banknotes, a copper coin for beer that was worth five cents, and it had the name of a saloon on it. There were business cards that had his name and ad- and an address on Fifth Avenue in New York. A letter addressed to him from Philadelphia with the date 1876 on oh it. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is crazy. And that lastly, there was so a receipt cool. for the upkeep and care of a horse and carriage from a livery stable on Lexington Street. And you gotta think, he was hit by a taxi compared to a horse and a carriage. It's a long time difference. Yes. So none of these items showed any age. It's as if they were all brand new. This letter from Philadelphia was addressed to him from, what, 1876? This is like 75 years later, and it looked like it was brand new. (laughs) There was no ID on him anywhere at all. So they asked around about the name of the saloon. Nobody had ever heard the name of the saloon. They went to the address that was on the business cards, and no one had ever heard of Rudolph Fence. There was a business there, but nobody had ever heard of Rudolph Fence. Most of the research was done by Captain Hubert V. Wren of the New York Police Department Missing Person Department. They checked phone books, and they checked uh, fingerprint reports, nothing. He eventually found a Rudolph Fence Jr. in the 1939 phone book. He spoke to the residents of the apartment building where Rudolph used to live, and they remembered him as a 60-year-old man who worked nearby, but he retired, so he moved away. So Rim then contacted the um, bank where he used to do business and found out that Rudolph Jr. had died five years earlier. But he had a widow who was still alive. So he made contact with her. And he learned that Rudolph's father disappeared without a trace in 1876 when he was only 29 years old. He left the house, went for an evening walk, and never returned. Whoa. it's crazy. So Wren checked missing person reports for 1876, and he found a description of Rudolph Fence that matched exactly to the man that had just been killed in Times Square. So, according to this, if it's the stories to be believed, the gentleman goes out walking, apparently walks into a time slip, and reappears in 1950 in the middle of Times Square, freaks out, 
because of everything being different, don't know what happened, and gets hit and killed by a taxi. Well, he's probably, he didn't even know what a taxi was or anything like that. No. That is, oh my gosh. He was a taxied. He was. <laughs> so in the late 2000, a gentleman by the name of Chris Albeck read about the legend of Rudolph Fence, and he started investigating. He did a database search, and he couldn't find anyone with the name Rudolph Fence or Hubert Wren, the officer. Albeck found a story, though, in uh, a magazine called A Voice from the Gallery Number 4, in 1953, it was actually published in an American magazine called The Collier. Ralph Holland wrote this story, and Ralph was a science fiction enthusiast, to say the least. He believed all things paranormal and extraterrestrial. So Albeck concluded that the whole story was just a made-up work of art by Holland. So after publishing his finding, Albeck was contacted by a Reverend George Murphy. Murphy said he had heard of Fence, but he hadn't heard of The Voice or The Gallery or Ralph Holland or none of that stuff. And he said that he did read an article in Collier Magazine, and it was a fictional short story called I'm Scared, written by a Jack Finney in September 1951. Now, this was two years before that story. Mm -hmm. Now, it was written very well, and it could have been taken as a factual account. But then another twist happened in 2007. There was a newspaper article published in April 1951 describing Rudolph Fence's story in detail six months before I'm Scared was published in there. <laughs> so the thought process is that now the story did happen mm -hmm. and this gentleman that wrote the article I'm Scared or the, the story based it off of the true life events of Rudolph Fence, who just randomly appeared in 1950. I mean, what do you even say to that? Right. You know? It's just like, pew, Yeah. You're right. I wonder if they kept his clothes and all that after no he idea. was died. That would be cool. They could give it up to display, display yep. for everyone right. to see. So, Coda, we've got some questions for you. Oh, yay. Because I know you've done a lot of research on this. Mm -hmm. So, let me start with this one. So, we didn't cover anything about wormholes, but tell me a little bit about wormholes. Well, a little bit about it is that people believe that, like, random wormholes will open up and allow people to either get to a different destination, either close or far. And apparently NASA also believes that wormholes, they will take you back in time, like back and forward in time. And when I researched that, and I thought it was cool because usually wormholes are just appeared to, if, if you walk through it, they'll make you go somewhere in a very short distance and then you'll either fall or go up into another wormhole. And there's actually a show where they where people get sucked into wormholes and get thrown all over the place like in just different patterns and shapes and so it just made me kind of wonder like are wormholes actually that or are there like more i guess powers in a quote unquote power you know um or like more benefits to it and so there is um <laughs> Where you can travel back in time and in the future, and to me the, that was where, that was really cool. 
about the wormholes and that NASA actually like researched that and tried to share it with people. Okay, so if you could go back in time and do anything or go anywhere, what would you do? Well, I would actually do a couple things. I would like to go back to 1982 because I love Michael Jackson. He is my he is my go-to person. Well, if he was alive, then for sure. Um, because that's when he wrote my two favorite songs, "Beat It" and "Thriller." Um, so he's that's I would just love to meet him one day and be able to. Ritual and you know, know that I like met my singing idol Michael Jackson. So that's one of the places I would like to go if I could travel. Um, another one is so me and my mom have been reading and looking into documents on the Holocaust, and I would like to go if it were up to me. I would go back and try to, like, just rescue all those poor people who are in the Holocaust. Because I don't think that just because they believed in something different that they should have suffered like that. And that it was totally unacceptable. So, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you, honey. I, Adolf Hitler was a terrible person, so. I think we can all agree with that. Most, yeah. So. So you also want to go back and see something from the early days of the Native Americans also too, right? Yes, because I am fascinated about how the Native Americans lived and what they did. And so I want to go back um, to when the Native Americans were more populated, you know, and we're in that area. Because I, I did a project about them. Mine, my tribe was the Wampanoag tribe. They were very fascinating to learn about. They're, they dressed way differently than if like you would expect. They used all their surroundings like very wisely. They didn't just, you know, put some bricks together and make the house, you know. They would make their own tools. They would chop down like trees to make wood like to make sticks of wood and they would make houses and the tools and all this like the supplies that they needed to survive and their beliefs was spiritualism so they were when they killed an animal they would first thank it for giving it its life and its food and they would use every part of it so I thought that was cool, and I would just like to go back in time and be able to have that experience with them. Because I love animals and nature, so I thought that if I got to go back, that's what I would do for sure. Awesome. So what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, there's actually multiple things. One of them is be a zookeeper because, of course, I would like to take care of the animals. Another one is to study the life of, to be a scientist who studies the life of animals and plants, because I feel like people littering it and just littering the and polluting nature is, they don't care that much, and I, I want to show, I want to gather as much data as I can and get and show people that 
this world does matter. Because if we didn't have it, we wouldn't be here right now, sitting here point. talking. We would, we just wouldn't exist. We would all not even be here. So I think it's important to show people that. And another thing, the last one of the things I wanted to also be was a um, a rocket scientist, like a scientist who studies um, the like space, because there are a whole bunch of. Um, things out there talking about space, and it just interests me. My dad actually had a book about space, and I read almost all of it, and it was pretty interesting. It was talking about some of the things. was talking about how the planets, like what they are, like Neptune and all those things. Well, not things, planets, of course, but... Um. <laughs> and so it just gave me some cool facts about it and what they represent, like... For example, I'm not saying this is one, but just imagine, like, if there was a planet, um, the Mac planet, it would say, goddess of cheeseburgers. <laughs> uh, the planet of cheeseburgers in that. That's just, a planet I want to live on. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. So it just kind of gave you information like that, and that was cool to me. That's awesome. something that interested me and that I was like, oh, I want to grow up and be a rocket scientist and study all of this. So, well, thank good. you for sitting in with us today. Yeah, that was great. Thanks. You're very smart. My thank grandma you. is going to read our Patreon and iTunes supporters. Okay. And then after that, we are going to have the latest installment of Hillbilly Horror House. Mm-hmm. So, Sounds great. Ended on a cliffhanger last week, so yeah. we can't wait to hear it. <laughs> All right. Our iTunes reviews, we had Beth Ann P. 86, James R. Smith, Chromos, Laura Loves Rocks, <laughs> N. Sand 60, Flipper 6767. Thank you guys so much for your reviews. They were awesome as usual. And we appreciate that you take the time out to do that for us. And our Patreon supporters this week was Barbara Barrett. Frederick Osterwald, I hope I didn't mess that up, Frederick. Amanda Lee, Rue Smith, Amy Lynn Hansen, and Brandon Allegreen. Allegreen. Thank you guys for your support. That means so much to us. And um, just spread the word. That's what, you know, helps us the most, those iTunes reviews and stuff like that as well. Yeah, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, obviously, we want to touch on the shows, uh, the Houston shows. Both of those are sold out. Yeah, you guys so, rock. Yep, you're awesome. Uh, the Louisville show, which is April 6th, is down to, I think, 16 tickets left. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's uh, the <laughs> Andrea and Tom from We Drink and We Know Things. Our show, the Brohio guys are coming down, and um, Bishop James Long, so nothing better than having the Brohio guys and the filthy mouths of Andrea and Tom there when we've got a priest in the house, so... <laughs> That should be fine. Uh, it should be I, a good mixture. I need to contact Bishop Long and say, feel free to just come as late as you want and just show up at the end when it's time <laughs> to, to do your thing. But that's going to be a very fun show. There are a few places, uh, like I said, tickets left. This is going to be at uh, Khalil's out in Valley Station, and they have awesome food. We sampled it a couple weeks ago, and uh, I can't wait for this one. It's going to be super fun. 
And then we've got uh, the indie show coming up in June. That's Brohio and uh, Justin Rimmel. Going to be another cool show. So I won't bore you with all the details. Go to our website, heavilyhorrorstores.com. Go to the events page and you'll see everything that's there. I uh, will say that there were some links that weren't working for the Atchison stuff, like the Haunted Trolley Ride and the Cemetery Tours. Those are up and working good. So if you're coming to Atchison for the Sally House thing and uh, you tried to get tickets for the other events, go to our website. Those are working now. Good. So, well... I guess we've done everything there is to do. Now it's time to listen to the latest installment of Hillbilly Horror House. Hi, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror House. We have put a lot of work into making this podcast a sound fest for your ears. In order to get the full effect, we highly recommend the use of headphones. Hillbilly Horror House Happy Wife Two of Two to the alarm clock should be shot. Good morning, sunshine. Up and at him. Oh my God. When did you become a morning person? I don't know. I just feel alive. I've had a great sleep last night. No dramas, no dreams, no nightmares. Just a good old solid sleep. Good. That makes one of us. They're going to make me some coffee. One step ahead of you. And a little breakfast in bed for my manly husband. What? Manly? Oh, are we on that again? That was so yesterday. What's gotten into you, babe? You're up early. Breakfast in bed. What are you up to? Nothing. I just want to show my husband some love. Is there anything wrong with that? Yes. Yes, there is, actually. It's creepy. Wait a minute. Does this have to do with that house? My, my, sir. Whatever do you mean? I thought so. Amber, I told you I would call the realtor today. You don't have to do all this. I know, but it doesn't hurt to soften you up a little bit first. <laughs> Babe, I'll call Tracy. Don't worry. <gasps> when? <laughs> I don't know. How about whenever I eat, whenever I shower, whenever I decide to join the living for the day? Sorry, I don't mean to rush you. I'm just excited and anxious. I know you are. I'll call her. I promise. Speaking of calling, you're supposed to call April today. Yes, Daddy. Maybe you should call her. You're sweet on her. I, I am not sweet on her. She's just a nice girl. With a smoking hot body. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, your body's smoking. But, um, you think your two bodies would ever smoke together? Oh, my God. 
would you put that? That's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sorry. Besides, who says we haven't already? Say what? Well, hello there. You do remember my number. Yeah, I know, April. I'm so sorry. I miss you. Things have been so crazy here. Oh, really? Everything okay with you and David? Yeah, we're good. Did you know he can scream higher than me? Hmm. <laughs> what? It's nothing. I'll tell you later. But no, no, we're all good. I've just been under a lot of stress and lately and had no sleep. You're not pregnant, are you? Oh, God, no. Is David still teasing about you and me being together? You know he is. <laughs> boys will be boys. So what can I do for you, girl? I think I need a girl's day out. I'm so down to earth with that. I'll come pick you up, say, in an hour? Yeah, that'll be fine. I don't want to come over there. Davy boy may see me and try to hump my leg. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll see you then. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for calling Polly Realty. I'm sorry we missed your call. Please leave your name, your number, and a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Hey, Tracy, this is David. I have a question about that house Amber and I came across last night on Old Route 9. If you could give me a call, thanks. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. Hello? Oh, hey, David, this is Tracy with Polly Realty. Yes, ma'am, so I take it you got my message. I sure did, and I know what house you're talking about. David, do you know anything about that house? No, nothing. We stopped and looked at it last night, but that's about it. David, that house has a history. What do you mean it has a history? About 30 years ago, there was wife and kids, wall. Please, don't go there alone. David? Hello? Dave? Don't go. Huh. Bye to you too. David, don't go there alone. I will meet you and Amber there tomorrow at 9 a.m. Oh, Amber will be so excited. You know the right things to say. So, how did your day go with April? Yeah, it was good. I really needed that. And you came back sober. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well... I'm glad you're able to get out, but, uh, Tracy called me today. Oh, on the house? Yeah, but it was kind of strange. It was like 
she was warning me of something, warning me to not go to the house alone. I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't quite make it out because my phone kept breaking up. It's probably just because the house needs a bit of work. That's all. Eh, perhaps you're right. But anyway, she knows where the house is, and uh, she'll meet us there in the morning. Really sweet. <laughs> yeah, real sweet. even looks creepy in the daylight. Oh, but it's so majestic. Yeah, that's one word for it. Mm, stop being such an old man. Keep an open mind, okay? Yeah. Okay. Come on. I see Tracy's car. Let's get over there. David, Amber, it's so good to see you two lovebirds. Good morning, Tracy. Saw your call yesterday. I have a real quick question. You said this house had history and you were screaming, don't go alone. Why? Is it, like, haunted? Lord, no, this place ain't haunted, child. I said don't go alone because, well, look at it. It's not safe. Yeah, but you were screaming it. Um, yeah, because my stupid redneck neighbors were mowing their yard and I just couldn't hear you. And the whole, the house has history stuff? What, someone get murdered in here too? <laughs> David, I think you've seen way too many movies. See, David, I told you it was nothing. Could we please go inside and have a look now? So, Tracy, uh, this pile of firewood actually for sale? After some research, I did find the original posting. I reached out to the owners next of Ken and verified it was for sale, but they are thinking about leveling it and selling the land. Next to Ken? Why the next to Ken? Well, it turns out the wife disappeared. Most think she just ran away with a lover. Others think old man Brown killed her. Neither were ever proved. So, whatever happened to old man Brown? <laughs> he probably just died in a retirement home. <laughs> David, don't be silly. Back then, people died in their homes. Wait. You're telling me someone died in this house and another one disappeared? Oh, cool. Well, let's go inside and have a look then. I would give you the key, but I'm sure it's probably open. Come on, David. Let's go. Amber, watch the stairs. Remember what happened last night. Yes, Daddy. Oh my god, David. Look at this place. It's amazing. Have you lost your mind? It's a dump. It smells like crap. And look, half the walls have fallen. And Amber, I swear I just saw a cockroach riding in a doom buggy. Oh, David, don't be so melodramatic. The floors are falling through, the stair railings are missing, and the windows are broken. I'm not about to go upstairs. But a blank canvas. Don't look at it for what it is, but look at it for what it could be. You know, 
like I did with you. <laughs> like I did with you. But seriously, I really don't know about this, Amber. This really isn't a good idea. So what do you all think? Thank you for your time, Tracy, but I just don't think this we'll is We'll take it. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Writing, production, and editing done by Tim Mullins. Amber is played by Natasha Ali. David is played by Tim Mullins. The realtor was played by Tracy Pauley. Narrating by me, Dana Gleason.